Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Java Junkies, welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about the world of recruiting, then this is the episode for you because my next guest is a university relations recruiter for Cox Communications, which is an American company that provides digital cable TV, telecommunications, and home automation services. And she only graduated in December of of 2020. But before I introduce you to Serena Sang, who is also a LinkedIn coach who has helped hundreds burnish their personal brand, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's newsletter that gives you tips, tricks, and insights into careers gleaned from some of the best of the best, like today's guest. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Serena Sang, a university relations recruiter for Cox Communications. And here is how Serena describes herself in her about section on LinkedIn. I help my company find talented students to intern and co-op across our product technology, marketing and sales, finance, operations, people solutions, and Cox business and Cox media divisions. She also highlights some fun facts about herself, which include photography to playing violin and baking, and the fact that she also loves to dive into documentaries and nonfiction books. And as I mentioned, Serena is also a coach on LinkedIn for other college students and recent grads. This is her side hustle that she has fine-tuned due to her own experience, having been posting on LinkedIn now. Now for months and months, and she's actually accrued well over 13,000 followers as of this recru- this recording. I was about to say this recruiting. Serena, <laughs> welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? Not caffeinated, but ready to go. Not caffeinated? <laughs> say it isn't so. You don't like coffee? Or I don't tea? really drink coffee. It makes me pretty jittery. I just go for water or tea. Oh, you're so, gosh, like, (laughs) I was going to say healthy, but coffee can actually, and tea are healthy drinks to have. Yeah, I mean, I I wish coffee worked on me. Maybe it's just a matter of having to build up my tolerance to it, but I haven't gotten to that point yet. Yeah, if you don't need it, don't try it. I I happen to love 
the taste. And because I host this podcast, I feel like it would be super lame if I didn't drink coffee, right? That would just (laughs) be weird. So before we dig into what you're doing now as a university relations recruiter, I was thinking it might be helpful for our young listeners, Serena, if you painted the picture of all the different types of recruiting that exists because you are a university relations recruiter, but that by no means is the only type of recruiting that they could explore. Right. There's a lot of different areas when it comes to recruiting, probably even more than I can even list off the top of my head right now. But for example, within recruiting, you can look at the whole cycle. So for example, I'm more of a full cycle recruiter, which means that you take the candidate through the whole process from the interview stages and from finding the candidate to the offer stage. So other recruitment specialists will specialize in specific ones of those parts of the cycle. So for example, you have sourcers who are a LinkedIn recruiter and they go out on LinkedIn and actively try to find people who might be interested in the role. So they're hunting after, you know, maybe active or passive clients and they just worry about doing that. And then you have people on the opposite side of the spectrum who are closers and they're the people who convince people to join a company. So I think that's not as common of a role, but I've definitely heard of those types of people. And then you have people in between who are recruiting coordinators, who coordinate interviews. And then you have talent acquisition specialists who kind of do a little bit of everything. I think they're more full cycle recruiters anyways. They hire for full-time positions. And then you have university recruiters who hire for internships and co-ops and sometimes new grad roles. It really just depends on the company. And then you have different recruiters for different types of positions. So for example, technical recruiters, they might be recruiting more specifically for computer engineers, software engineers, those engineering positions. And then you also have, for example, executive recruiters who are recruiting specifically for director or above level positions, since that's like a very specific persona that they're looking for. So those are just a few of the options in recruiting. Great. That's super helpful. And what about the distinction, Serena, between a recruiter and a hiring manager? Because I do think there is confusion around that. Right. Yeah. So it's pretty important to understand the difference between both people since they play different roles during the process. So the recruiter is a person that you are going to come into contact with first, typically. So if you're at a career fair or if you get a phone call from someone at a company who is interested in your resume or interested in you applying for a position, then that will most likely be the recruiter because they're responsible for that part of the process. The hiring manager is the person that the recruiter works for to help get you know, someone to fill that position that they're looking for. So the hiring manager essentially is gonna be your manager in the future. And then they're called the hiring manager because they're the person who's kind of like the point of contact and the most important person during the process. So you're going to be meeting with the hiring manager, usually most likely at the very end of the interview stage. So once you pass that final interview with the hiring manager, then you would be you know, in running for that final position. Yes. And having myself been a hiring manager in a variety of different industries, I can say that we're the ones that actually say yes right, (laughs) and give you the green light to then put forward that offer 
to the candidates. So we're saying, yeah, this person is a good fit. They're going to be on my team or they may be reporting to someone else on your team. But they're Mm -hmm. the final word on whether or not you get the offer. That's true as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as I mentioned, you are currently a university relations manager. It's a job that you started in January of 2021. You graduated in December of 2020. What does a university relations recruiter do? Yeah. And of course, that depends on the company, too. Some university relations recruiters only focus on the recruitment side, but I do a little bit of everything. So I do the recruitment portion. I do the interview coordination. And then I also do some onboarding, you know, offboarding and then also program management. So I would say the recruitment and program management are probably the largest portions of my role. So I help those students get into the positions, but then once they are here at the company, I also help plan their training and their professional development once they're here. So, you know, the fun experience that you have as a summer intern and getting swag, getting to meet the other interns and socials, going through soft skills trainings and things like that. Those are the types of events and workshops that I also help plan. And how many interns do you recruit each cycle and how many cycles are there for Cox Communications? Yeah, so there are three cycles. There's the fall and then there's the spring and the summer. So for internships, we only recruit interns for the summer, but for co-op positions, we recruit for those year round. Got it. And how many positions do you usually fill? We typically have about 30 co-ops come in every semester. And then on top of that, we'll have 40 interns for the summer. So that's just a rough number. And how do you juggle finding the right fit for all the different teams you're recruiting for? Because you're more than just a technical recruiter. Yes, you are recruiting for technical roles, but you're also recruiting for other teams where maybe knowledge of certain software isn't as essential as it would be if you were, let's say, joining the tech folks at Cox. Right. So that's why intake meetings are so important. So as a recruiter, what I do is before I start recruiting for a particular position, I will meet with the hiring manager to see what kind of profile they're looking for in a candidate. So we'll go over the skills that they're looking for. We'll go over any soft skills they're looking for as well, what kinds of majors they're looking for. That way we can accurately recruit for the type of profile they're looking for. So majors are potential deciding factors for some of these internships or co-ops? Right. So obviously they're not necessarily the end all be all when it comes to whether or not you receive an interview or whether or not you can even apply for the position. But it is a very good indicator because some of these people, they already know from the get go what exactly they want to go into. So if you have a resume from someone who is a finance major versus someone who is a biology major and you're hiring for a financial analyst position, then obviously you're probably going to go with the person who was majoring in finance. So it is a good indicator of what your desired career outcome will be. I mean, that being said, There are exceptions that happen and there are related majors that could definitely fit into that kind of profile. But for, you know, the most effective recruiting, we usually try to target specific majors for certain roles. What is it like, Serena, having 
just been in school recruiting interns into and co-op participants into the corporate world. Do you find that these prospective candidates take you as seriously as you would like to be taken? Do you find that they're surprised that the person who is interviewing them was a student just a number of weeks ago? It's funny because I get emails all the time from candidates saying, hi, Mrs. Singh, or hi, Miss Serena, <laughs> which is totally not something I was used to, you know, eight months ago. So I guess people, you know, generally when they see working professionals, they assume that they're a little bit older, but I'm not someone who necessarily tries to hide that. If one of our students asks, how long have you been working at Cox? Then I'll tell them straight up, you know, I just graduated and I've been working here for about seven months at this point. So in a way, it's actually a good thing because it makes you more relatable to them. They understand that, oh, okay, it's cool to see that this person is working at Cox full time and I'm an intern so I can be in their shoes one day. Or they'll be able to say, okay, you know, you probably understand the struggles that I'm going through. Now I can approach you with this specific problem that I'm going through, whether that's adjusting to a virtual environment or not being sure about how to convert into full-time. And and I think that just helps me be a little bit more approachable and relatable to them. Had you dealt with recruiters before you found yourself in this role? You mean specifically when I was applying for this role or just in general? any roles, any internships or any roles, had you interfaced with recruiters before? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. For example, I would go to career fairs all the time during undergrad and I would meet a lot of recruiters that way. When I was in the Society of Human Resource Management, we would also bring in a lot of recruiters to talk about available internships in HR. So I was able to form some connections with recruiters and kind of see what that world was like before stepping into it. And is there anything now that you have stepped into it that you're like, whoa, I wasn't really expecting this, that you would want to share with our audience now that you're on the inside? I would say for anyone who's looking to go into recruiting, there is a lot more behind the scenes than you might think that there is. So when I first stepped into the role, I didn't realize how many legalities there were and all of these different nuances that came with, for example, hiring international students or that came with making sure that there's no bias in your process. There are a lot of understandably, you know, laws that govern HR processes that you have to make sure that you're fair and compliant to. But besides that, just learning the ropes of how to do the administration processes behind them, because at the end of the day, you know, you are working in Excel spreadsheets and keeping track of data. And you have to be really organized with everything on the back end because you're dealing with people. And if you make a mistake when it comes to hiring these people or, you know, even just putting the wrong date on something, then that could mess up a process for a candidate. So take us into a typical day, Serena. What does it look like for you? Yeah, morning I'll make my to-do list and perhaps have a team meeting and go over the essential to do items for the rest of that week and bring up anything that needs to be discussed. After that, maybe we'll have a meeting with a hiring manager to just talk about what kind of profiles we're looking for and just do an intake meeting for them. In the afternoon, for example, I could be managing a couple of programs, sending out some emails, maybe have another meeting throughout the day. That's kind of how it goes. Lots of meetings and planning. When you are actually talking to prospects, do you have set questions 
that you have to ask every single candidate? Are you able to go off script? Yeah. So the way my job works is that I don't do phone screenings per se. I just I'm calling to make sure that they're eligible for the position and then that they understand what the nature of the role is. So in those kinds of situations, I do have certain qualifying questions that I ask just to make sure that they would be fit for the team or that they really understand what the position is, make sure that they're still interested and still applying for the position, you know, just to check a couple of boxes. But besides that, it's up to the hiring manager to do those interviews. So we do provide them you with questions that they can ask. But at that point, you know, some hiring managers have a preference of asking the exact same questions, but other ones might go a little bit more off script. So what do you want students to know and young professionals to know? I, we should say students because that's who you're dealing with right now. With respect to their interaction with you or with another recruiter, maybe who's recruiting for an actual full-time job? So the first thing I would say is make sure you are replying to the communication that we're sending you. So if you don't respond within 24 to 48 hours of me extending out an interview to you, then you might not be in the running for the position anymore. So you have to be pretty timely with making sure that you're checking your emails, checking your phone when you're in recruitment season. Sometimes I'll call candidates and they won't be available, but they just never pick up the phone and then I'll send them a text and they don't respond to that either until maybe a couple days later. But at that point, we've already started to schedule interviews. So it's really important that they make sure that they're timely in their responses. On top of that, I would say we do care about how you communicate with us because it does give off a certain impression of you. So I'll have candidates communicate with me all over the board. There's a wide variety of communication I might get for them. So some people are very concise with their responses and they'll email back and just say yes, or you know, not even have an email signature, not even say hi, Serena, or anything like that. And then other candidates will be a little bit more thorough. So they will thank me for the communication. They might ask a question. They will say that they're excited to interview for the position, et cetera. So make sure you're covering your bases and being professional with how you interact with recruiters. And how would those two people, the one that just said yes with nothing else versus the one that had a more professional response and expressed excitement, how would they line up? Will you share that information back to the hiring manager? Sometimes I will. These little things don't necessarily always make or break the situation, but you know, I might have more of an inclination towards one candidate over the other. But at the end of the day, it is the hiring manager's decision. Do you give them your opinion or does it depend whether or not the hiring manager asks for your opinion? Well, my part in the process doesn't really include evaluating the candidates as much. So for this kinds of positions, it's just up to the hiring manager to decide. So are you taking every single applicant and sending them to the hiring manager or are you screening them? So what we do is when we post out a job onto the school portals, for example, Handshake. We'll take the resumes and then we'll send them directly to the hiring managers. And then what they do is they'll select from there what which people that they want to interview. And then after that, after I have that list, I will go to those candidates and say like, hey, are you still interested in the position? You know, are you eligible? And then if they still say yes, then I'll coordinate their interviews. Got it. Okay. So 
You know, something that surprised me as I was researching you, Serena, is that you have described yourself as an introvert. And I would have thought, and this is clearly my misperception or conception of these roles, that this type of role might be better for an extrovert. Tell me about that. You're not wrong on that. <laughs> I would say that my job would be easier if I were an extrovert. But at the same time, I do still bring a lot of skills to the table that not everyone else would. So, you know, being a recruiter doesn't mean that you just have really good communication skills. It also means you have to be really organized. You have to interact with candidates really well. You have to be detail oriented. You have to have good written communication. There are a lot of other skills that play into it. And so, for example, like I wouldn't say that my strength is necessarily in public speaking or in giving presentations, but that's still a skill that I can develop. You know, I've definitely done a lot of those things before. I've done a lot of public speaking. I've done a lot of presentations before. It's still not my favorite thing to do, but it gives me a good chance to practice those skills and also, you know, get my message across because obviously those two things are important in virtually any single job that you do, especially if you're wanting to be in more of a management position. So, you know, at the end of the day, I wouldn't exclude introverts from being able to enter the field of recruiting, but I would just give a heads up to them and say, you know, you'll have to bring your extroverted side out a little bit more. And if you're super introverted, then this kind of role might not be for you. But then again, there are different areas of recruiting that might be better fit for introverts, such as sourcing, where you're Actually, I'm not super sure about sourcing. I feel like they still interact with candidates a lot, but there are other areas of HR that might be better suited. Got it. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And I'd like to give you a gentle pushback that you are not as good with public presentations (laughs) because holy cow, I mean... I don't think I could do what you're doing right now as a brand new grad doing this podcast interview. And I listened to the other podcast interview that you did recently. You totally crushed it. Thank you. Thank you. It takes a lot of practice. (laughs) Well, as with anything, right? As with mm-hmm. anything, and actually, Serena, as we pivot to your side hustle with regards to the coaching that you do for college students and young professionals around LinkedIn, do you find that many college students are discounting the experiences that they've already gotten and maybe not placing as much value on their hobbies, their extracurriculars, their part-time volunteer work and such? Oh, 100%. I think it's just because a lot of students don't know how to write their resumes in a way that shows their transferable skills. But for a lot of them, I'll talk to them and they'll tell me all these cool stories of accomplishments that they've done in their prior positions. And I'm saying, why in the world does your resume not reflect that at all? (laughs) You know, the top sales manager at the, I don't know, the store that they worked at, or they've accomplished a lot in their retail job, et cetera, but they're just not able to quantify the metrics or they haven't even really thought about it. But when they talk about it, then they're better able to explain. So. I think that's why documentation is so important. When you're in these roles, even if you're just in a student organization, you can go ahead and start documenting everything down that you've done in terms of your projects, in terms of stories that might be good for star interviews. For star interviews. Now, can you just elaborate on what you mean by that? Because that's an acronym. So a lot of hiring managers and interviewers in general will 
ask you behavioral questions and expect you to give a star answer. So star stands for situation, task, action, and then results. So they want you to be able to talk through a story using this framework in order to tell them what you went through in that kind of situation and then how you were able to resolve it or have a result in the end. Yeah, exactly. What advice do you have to offer our young listeners, especially those students, Serena, who are confused and stuck about what career they want to pursue when they graduate? I would say it's okay to be stuck, first of all. Don't spend so much energy being frustrated that you don't know what to do, and instead try other things. You know, you might be locking yourself into a specific major in college, and you might not know necessarily what you want to do, but there are a lot of options for you. And there's a lot of flexibility while you're in college to try different things. So don't feel like you're locked into a position of, oh my gosh, I've done this for two years and I feel like I don't like it anymore, but I still have to do it because I only have two more years until graduation and the rest of my life. It's not like that at all. You don't have to commit to something right away or just because you've done it for X number of years. You're saying after they graduate. Either way, either way. You know, even people who are currently in college feel like they can't pivot while they're in college. Yeah. And here's a great stat for you. 73% of college students change their major at least once. And in fact, I tell those I coach, Serena, that that is a microcosm of what's going to happen over the course of their professional life. Mm Mm-hmm. You're exposed to things you didn't know before or you meet people that you didn't know before who open your eyes to a type of a job or an industry that you didn't think of ahead of time or maybe you didn't know enough about ahead of time. So it's all good. Yeah, it is all good. There are so many options out there for you. And, you know, a lot of people say this, but your dream job might not be invented until five years from now. So it's totally okay to pivot as you need to figure out what you don't like to do and then go from there. Try to figure out some things that you'd like to do. No, you don't necessarily have to be super passionate about something going into it, but your passion will follow as you continue to be good at something. So, you know, just make sure that you steer away from those jobs that don't align with your values and your personality and feel free to try different options from then out. Well, speaking of things that you're really good at, I know your story. And I know that you started posting on LinkedIn during the pandemic when you were still a student. And yet you still say you wish you'd started sooner. (laughs) Yes. Why is that? Man, I mean, I'm just so glad that I did start posting when I was a student, because if I hadn't, then there would have been no way that I would have been able to start my brand in a full time position because, you know, I'm working a nine to five. At this point in my journey on LinkedIn, I'm able to auto schedule my posts so that I'm not looking at LinkedIn all the time while I'm at work. But typically when you first start out as a creator, you want to be engaging in the first hour of your posts, but I can't really do that because I'm working my job. So that's why it's important for students to do that while they have the flexibility and while they're in college, because they kind of have this schedule where it's a lot more flexible in that you have classes throughout the day, but then you'll have a lot of breaks in between, or maybe you're taking remote classes. So you can technically be online whenever you want to. That's why I encourage students to do it now as opposed to waiting later. And I have seen a lot of benefits that come from building my LinkedIn brand. So many to the point where I do wish that 
I did do it earlier. You know, I started pretty quote unquote late <laughs> because it was 2020 when I started and I was almost a senior in college. But I see so many people, not so many people, I see a handful of people who are high schoolers and they already have thousands of followers on LinkedIn. And I know that they're going to get so many opportunities by the time they're in college. So imagine if I had started writing three years ago, I probably would have so many cool opportunities to do, but you don't know what you don't know. You just got to start now. So as you know, it's super intimidating to get started with posting for somebody of any age. But I think especially when you're a college student and maybe a recent grad, what advice can you give them, Serena, as to how they can get over the imposter syndrome that they're experiencing? And P.S., even people who have decades under their belt still experience the imposter syndrome. So welcome to the club. How can they get over that and recognize that they do have valuable thoughts that they can share on this platform? I think the first thing that students need to recognize is that LinkedIn is not as buttoned up as they probably think it is. So first, getting over that mentality that LinkedIn is only a professional platform where you post about your accomplishments and interact with coworkers and that's it at the end of the day. But that's not true because LinkedIn is evolving as a social media platform. It's becoming more of a platform where people will go to it for entertainment or for news or really just to gain some value from the community and make connections. Because ultimately, people are on LinkedIn in order to build their network and to grow relationships but a part of that is sharing your thoughts. So if you're a student, you're also able to attract a similar like-minded community to yourself if you post content that is relatable to them. So talk about rejection stories, talk about what you wish you knew before you did something, or just talk about lessons that you're learning through your internship experience. And through that, you'll be able to make friends and also learn about new opportunities that exist and just be able to create an awesome community. Let's flash back really quickly, Serena, to when you were in school. You majored in psychology and you graduated summa cum laude from the University of Georgia. Did you know what you wanted to do with that degree when you graduated? I did by the time I graduated. <laughs> Kind of. So when I first started off with my psychology degree, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it, but I did have a sense of direction in that I wanted to probably go into industrial organizational psychology. But then I made a couple of pivots during college. So by the time I graduated, I knew that I was looking for a role in HR, but probably a role in recruiting. So I took those three and a half years in college and try to figure out exactly what I wanted to do with that. And I'm lucky because psychology is still somewhat related to HR. <laughs> so it wasn't too hard of a pivot to make, but I'm glad I had all of those experiences that I did in college to help me make that decision. And how did you make the decision to go into HR recruiting? Was there someone who helped to influence you? I would say there were a lot of people along the way who helped me realize that decision. So one of the first things I did was through a program at my university called Intern for a Day. So you get to go to a company and I got to experience what it was like to work in HR for literally half a day. But even being 
in that short experience to help me realize like, okay, I think I can see myself in this. So I continued to pursue opportunities like that. You know, I had a summer internship. I had another summer internship after that. I joined a school organization related to HR. And through all of those cumulative experiences, it just kept showing me like, okay, I'm still interested and passionate about this field. And that's the reason why I just continue to pursue it throughout. But on the flip side, the reason why I didn't pursue industrial organizational psychology more was because I had experiences in that as well. I was involved in a couple of research labs, but didn't find a whole lot of fulfillment in doing that. And even though I was, I think, decent at running the experiments and writing the research papers, it just wasn't something that I saw myself doing long term. In our Espresso Shots interview, and by the way, check out show notes to see if Serena's Espresso Shots episode has already dropped. You mentioned that once you made the decision that you wanted to try to get into human resources Mm -hmm. and recruiting, you joined the professional human resources group on campus, Mm -hmm. association on campus. Yes. What advice do you have to offer students around how they take advantage of clubs, extracurriculars, volunteer experiences, internships while they're on campus, maybe even part-time jobs to help position them for jobs post-grad? Yeah, this is definitely something I wish I were able to do, but if you already know what field you want to go into, or at least want to try it out, there are a lot of part-time student assistant jobs that you can apply for. So I had a few friends who were in marketing ones, working for example, the Office of International Student Life, or for HR specifically, I also had another friend who literally emailed the HR department at school and asked if they'd be willing to take on an intern. So you can create those opportunities for yourself. You don't necessarily, those opportunities don't exist, then you can try to create one as well. Love it. Two final questions for you. If you could share a time in your relatively short professional life, Serena, Mm -hmm. when you struggled, maybe you stumbled, maybe you screwed up something. The most important thing here is how you persevered and if there was a lesson that you learned in the process. I would say one of the most difficult parts of my college experience for me was when I was looking for that full-time position. And this was during my last semester of college. And the process was honestly a lot harder than I expected it to be. You know, nobody tells you that at the end of college, you're going to go through six months or more of recruitment season in order to find a job. And even at that point, even if you graduate with a bachelor's degree, you might not necessarily have a job ready to go lined up. You know, everyone goes into college expecting that they'll get a job right away afterwards. So it was a depressing experience for me applying to a lot of positions, but not getting a lot of interviews. But at the end of the day, when I did finally land that offer, it just allowed me to you know, experience so much more gratitude for being able to land that position and not take it for granted. How many positions did you end up applying for? Probably 25 to 50 positions, somewhere in that range. And why Cox? So Cox has a really good reputation in Atlanta. It's very family friendly. It is a private company too, so they're able to 
maintain that part of their culture. And it's also just like a great place to work at. They consistently ranked in the top 50 for diversity. They really take care of their employees and it's just a fun place to work. Awesome. Final question, Serena. If you could go back to college, back to the University of Georgia and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? I would tell myself not to worry so much about grades because I had been conditioned ever since elementary school to try really hard in class. And that made sense. Obviously your GPA in high school doesn't matter for college, but when you're in college, your GPA doesn't matter as much if you're going into the corporate world. And, you know, I graduated with a 3.95. I could have definitely been a little bit more lenient with that. And even if I had a 3.4 GPA, that would have been perfectly fine. That wouldn't have affected anything at all. (laughs) Except I did have scholarships that I would have had to keep my grades up in order to keep my scholarships that paid for my tuition. So I would have wanted to keep the minimum there. But in terms of that, you know, I would have have been so hard on myself for making a B on a paper or a test because at the end of the day, the purpose of college is to get a job. So I wish I would have focused a little bit more time onto my career as opposed to my classes. Incredible. 3.95. And I actually have posted about this too. And I got a little pushback from some people about how students, your GPA doesn't matter. The only time it matters is if you want to go to grad school. Right. Exactly. But you're not asking them what their GPA is when you're Mm -hmm. recruiting, right? Yeah, for the most part. There are definitely consulting firms or top companies out there that will care that you have at least, for example, a 3.0. But I don't think I've seen any companies that say, you know, you have to have a 3.8 in order to enter our organization or anything like that. Totally. Serena is all over LinkedIn. You've got to follow her. Her last name is T-S-E-N-G. We'll include a link to her LinkedIn profile in show notes. Serena, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today, even though you don't drink it with me and the T4C community. This was absolutely wonderful. It was great speaking with you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.